This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. Libby Snymer is away this week. I'm Jane Brown. We're just over two weeks away from November 6th, the date of the U.S. presidential election. Zoomers make up a majority of the American voting population, but are their needs being heard and met by either of the major political parties? Today I'll be joined by Kalen Batia, AARP's senior advisor for voter education. He'll fill us in on the major issues facing Zoomers in the United States. There's a lot of problems in healthcare. You know, if I'm adjusting your insulin or I'm just checking in on how you're doing on your depression, I can do that via an email. That's Dr. Mike Evans, one of the speakers at the Zoomer Life Conference that's coming up this Thursday at the Glenn Gould Studio in downtown Toronto. Coming up, we'll hear a preview to his presentation about the rising use of technology and social media by medical professionals. And this week... Chuck Berry, one of the pioneers of rock and roll music, celebrated his 86th birthday. Today we'll hear one of the songs that made Chuck Berry a legend and influenced a generation of guitar players. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. At the end of one's life, a person should be in control of their final days. This is the philosophy embraced by our own Moses Neimer, who has recently been named lead patron in Dying with Dignity's new patron program. He is joined in this title by legendary actor Christopher Plummer. Dying with Dignity supports medically assisted dying for adults who are terminally ill and who meet eligibility guidelines, including being mentally competent and not clinically depressed. We've all witnessed people that we know and people that we love, that we love desperately, in circumstances that are just awful, you know, um, waves of pain uh, or, or a life that is at the end of a morphine drip that can no longer be called a life, and there's nothing that we can do. I believe now, and I have for a long time believed, that precisely because we do come into this world without consent, we must have, we should have, that last measure of control as to when to end it, and, and to end it reliably and painlessly, should we absolutely need to do so. Zoomers who enjoy too much of a good thing are becoming a burden on the healthcare system. That's the conclusion of new research in the United Kingdom from the charity Alcohol Concern. It says people between the ages of 55 and 74 are costing UK health services heavily for treatment including liver disease and alcohol-related heart disease and cancers. The research suggests that individuals in that age group are over 10 times more likely than those between the ages of 16 and 24 to require treatment as a consequence of excessive alcohol consumption. 
It's an opportunity to celebrate 50 years with the Rolling Stones. Mick, Keith, and the rest of the band members say they will return to the stage later this year with four concerts in Newark, New Jersey, and London. The band members who celebrated the 50th anniversary of their first gig at a bash earlier this year revealed their plans in a video message this week. The Stones have sold more than 200 million records, with hits including Satisfaction, Street Fighting Man, and You Can't Always Get What You Want. But in recent years, much of their income has come from touring. Their last global tour, A Bigger Bang, earned more than $500 million between 2005 and 2007. I'm Jane Brown, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This Thursday, October 25th, the 5th Annual Zoomer Life Conference takes place at Toronto's Glenn Gould Studio. It will feature presentations from some of the world's leading experts on health, well-being, and longevity. One of those experts is Toronto's Dr. Mike Evans, a family physician at St. Michael's Hospital and an associate professor of family medicine and public health at the University of Toronto. He'll be speaking about the positive benefits of technology and social media in the medical profession. Libby Snymer sat down with him to get a preview. I'm here with Dr. Michael Evans, and you are going to be talking about how we can use technology to improve our health. It's interesting because I think in some ways uh, when we look at medicine, technology really isn't the answer that I think in a lot of ways uh, better health is around, you know, good relationships with your uh, friends and with your clinicians and getting a good night's sleep and eating well. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of ways technology can make our relationships better. Um, so, for example, uh, with the email clinic, you know, there's a lot of things that I have to see. I have to be, we have to be face-to-face. I have to take your blood pressure or whatever it is. But there's a lot of problems in healthcare. Uh, you know, if I'm adjusting your insulin or I'm just checking in on how you're doing on your depression, I can do that via an email. There are a lot of little things to ask your doctor by email as opposed to having to make an appointment and go in. But a lot of doctors don't respond to email. So is that something that's changing, or how do you negotiate that with your doctor? Uh, it's changing. You're going to see more and more. Right now, uh, there's issues around privacy. Uh, there's issues around um, uh, kind of emergency management. So when we're running an email clinic, we train patients that this is not for emergency services, you know, uh, uh, that if you're fine-tuning a medication or just have a kind of general question or, or checking in or giving a blood pressure, uh, great. But if you have, you know, acute <laughs> abdominal pain, uh, then this isn't the service for you. Uh, so I think there's uses that way. Um, and then a lot of the time, uh, kind of to your point earlier, I actually find it much more helpful than I do in the clinic because I can actually drive people to high, high-end resources uh, that are out there that are smarter than I am, that do a better job of explaining than I do. So I think it's going to be a way of the future. Uh, I don't think it's going to replace uh, clinicians, but I think it's going to make it better. And I think a big role of clinicians in the future will be to kind of help people understand Dr. Google. So Dr. Google is great, but there's a lot of misinformation as well. And I think um, one of our jobs as clinicians is to kind of curate the best information out there, have it kind of suit the patient. And part of that will be apps. My kids are in a lot of sports, so I get a lot of questions about concussions. And there's a great concussion app. And so I'll prescribe that to the other parents on our team. 
Do you have advice on that? Because sometimes that that goes in a very bad direction when people get all their information off the Internet. Yeah. So, Libby, as you know, uh, Dr. Google is a kind of double-edged sword. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I I think... uh, my major advice would be to use Dr. Google once you have your diagnosis. I think a lot of people look up their symptoms and, you know, if you have a lump that's turned into a cancer, you might start a website about it. But uh, if your lump just went away, you're not going to start a, a website about it. So there's a preponderance of those kind of alarmist sites. And, you know, of course, there's lots of people on the web uh, wanting to make money off of you. So. So I think uh, uh, use it after the diagnosis. I think for chronic diseases and all these kind of things, having social networks, having apps are a really incredible opportunity. But, you know, we have a condition that we see a lot called cyberchondria <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, sort of a daily occurrence where people are looking up and sort of assuming the worst of their symptom. And so a lot of our day is, is spent uh, reassuring people. So I think wait till you get your diagnosis and... Uh, uh, but once you know what you got, I think it's incredibly helpful. Is there a big change in what it means to be a doctor and what it means to be a patient? I think so. I, I think it's all changing and it's all not changing. So I think it's not changing in that uh, patients need somebody they can engage with and, and need to be quarterbacked and problem solved and and uh, tested. On the other hand, uh, um, we're just so much more enlightened now um, and uh, patients are at the front of the bus whereas, you know, I, I used to just say stuff to patients and they'd say, yes, sir. And now if they disagree with me, they tell me. Often my patients with rare diseases know more about it than I do, you know, so it's a changing game. You know, Libby, we uh, put out a video on YouTube uh, I answered, you know, what's the most important thing you can do for your health? And it was sort of an illustrated lecture uh, that I did. And uh, it's got about, I don't know, 3 million hits in English and 2 million hits in other languages and gone right around the world. So the way we educate patients is differently. And we've started a YouTube medical school that, you know, 200,000 people are tuning in a month to check out. And so I think, uh, you know, that's completely different. You know, as you, as you know, I used to run a mini med school at the U of University of Toronto, and I'd have like three or 400 people, and it was packed, you know. And now we can drop this onto YouTube, and uh, it's accessible to all. So uh, I think our roles as uh, clinicians and educators is also going to change. Okay. Dr. Michael Evans, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Libby. We're really looking forward to your talk. You can find Dr. Mike Evans online at myfavoritemedicine.com. And you can see him live at the Zoomer Life Conference this Thursday at Toronto's Glenn Gould Studio. For more information, go online to zoomerlifeconference.ca. I'm Jane Brown for Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up in just a moment, I'll be joined by Kaylin Batia, AARP's Senior Advisor on Voter Education, to talk about American Zoomers and their role in the upcoming presidential election. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. The baby boomers represent a big slice of the voter pie in the upcoming U.S. presidential election. But are their voices being heard by President Barack Obama or his Republican challenger Mitt Romney? Kaylin Batia is the senior advisor for voter education for AARP, America's advocacy for the 50-plus. He's on the line from Boca Raton, Florida, ahead of tomorrow's third presidential debate. 
Kaylin, similar to CARP here in Canada, AARP focuses on the issues rather than the individual parties and candidates, right? That's correct. Uh, AARP is about 54 years old, and we have a 26-year tradition of providing uh, nonpartisan voter education, uh, not only to AARP members, but to all voters. We don't have a political action committee. We don't endorse candidates. We don't give money to candidates. Uh, We just make sure that candidates uh, take public positions on issues that matter to Americans age 50 plus, and we make sure those voters know where the candidate stands so they can make informed decisions when they go to the polls. Now, what are the priority issues for boomers in this presidential campaign? This is a jobs and economy election. Um, I think um, no one would dispute that. the way AARP is approaching it is, uh, as part of economic security, you have to have a strong Social Security, strong Medicare, and strong personal financial security for all Americans. Now, I mean, clearly that would be in Obama's favor in terms of getting the AARP vote. And yet Romney uh, is ahead in Florida, which is a, a swing state filled with retirees. So how does that compute exactly? I think voters are craving for real answers and real solutions to uh, uh, these issues to make sure that Social Security is not just strong for today, but strong for future generations as well. I think they're craving for more information. Um, We did a poll, actually, a few months ago uh, about about boomers and their anxiety towards uh, their own economic economic situation. Uh, 77% of these boomers felt that the economic downturn of the last few years, the Great Recession, uh, uh, if you want to call it that, uh, led to their own personal um, economic dissatisfaction. That's 77%. 78% of these boomers felt that partisan gridlock in Washington, D.C. led to their own personal financial, uh, uh, dire financial outlook. That's a pretty astounding number. Um, They're sick of the partisan gridlock. They're They're sick of the bickering. They want the parties to come together to find uh, common-sense solutions to both Social Security and Medicare and all the other issues that are on the table. Is that something that you see can, can happen and, and get away from partisan politics, that the issues for the aging society will be addressed in a way that has nothing to do with politics? Uh, I think it can certainly happen. I think it's happened before. I think once we get past November 6th this year, I think we're going to have uh, whoever's in the White House, you know, whoever's in Congress, they're going to have to come together to find bipartisan solutions because the country is craving it, uh, the voters are craving it, and uh, frankly, the problems have to be addressed. In the debate the other night, Kalen, and we're speaking with Kalen Batia, AARP's Senior Advisor for Voter Education. In the debate the other night, I was surprised that there was no mention by neither Obama or Romney about the aging society and the associated issues. Whereas here in Canada, there is a lot of talk about how we're going to deal with the society as it continues to age with the boomer and zoomer generation. Uh, Is this a concern for AARP? Well, the issues were definitely brought up in the first debate in Denver. We were happy that they were brought up, but we wanted more information on Social Security. A lot of attention was given to Medicare. And you're absolutely right. There was no uh, mention of so- uh, very little mention of Social Security and Medicare uh, and no question on retirement security issues that came up in this debate. It was certainly a, cr- a concern for us because as we go into our last debate um, in Boca Raton on October 22nd, it's a foreign policy debate. It's going to focus on issues of Libya and uh, Afghanistan, terrorism, China, you name it. Uh, the economic security issues that our members and 
all voters care about uh, will probably not be addressed just because of the topics that are going to be talked about in, the, in that final debate. Right. Now, looking back over the last four years, how successful has AARP's advocacy been with the Obama administration? I think we've had a successful uh, advocacy mission uh, on the federal level as well as the state level. On the state level, uh, we're fighting to keep utility rates low, not just for uh, ARP members, but for all residents in those states. We fought to make sure that uh, there are long-term care choices available uh, uh, for all Americans. Uh, on the federal level, we fought for uh, affordable, accessible health care. Uh, we fought for um, uh, Social Security benefits. We fought for um, uh, many things, uh, 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 making sure that uh, um, Medicare benefits and Social Security benefits aren't cut as, as uh, it relates to uh, balancing the budget. Well, I hope your success continues. Uh, we all have our future invested in this as we all age and move towards our, our middle and late years. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Kaylin Batia is AARP's Senior Advisor for Voter Education. This is the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music in that's the music of Chuck Berry, the legendary rock and roll pioneer turned 86 years old this week. In just a moment, we'll return with a look at how he helped create the rock and roll sound that defined an era. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown, filling in for Libby Snymer. It's time now for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. In New York City, Glen Gary Glenn Ross is back on Broadway. The Pulitzer Prize-winning play stars Al Pacino, who was in the 1992 film version of the play about the seedy underbelly of Chicago real estate agents. You think you're a thief? So what? You get befuddled by a middle-class morality? Get shut of it. Shut it out. Pacino was Ricky Roma in the movie. This time, he's in the role of Shelley Levine, originally played by Jack Lemmon in the film. Glengarry Glen Ross is in previews at the Schoenfeld Theater on West 45th Street. To Motor City, where you can see the original Fabergé eggs among more than 200 objects made under the direction of Carl Fabergé. The exhibition is at the Detroit Institute of Arts. In London, England, the Arts and Culture Group presents Beethoven Lake Quartets at Conway Hall. And in China, the Indian Pavilion is all the buzz at the 5th Beijing Biennale. It focuses on the contemporary art movements in India. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook on the Zoomer Weekend Review here on the new AM740. This week, the legendary Chuck Berry celebrated his 86th birthday. He was a pioneer in the early days of rock and roll, reinventing the sound of rhythm and blues with hard-driving guitar riffs. His showmanship and extended guitar solos became a staple in rock and roll music. He inspired generations of guitarists to come, including Keith Richards, Eric Clapton, and John Lennon, who once suggested that if you tried to give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. 
Appropriately, Chuck Berry was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in its inaugural year. And this year, the museum is honoring his birthday with a week-long exhibit featuring artifacts from his career. Some of his prized guitars and costumes will be on display, as well as an historical exhibit that explores Berry's influence on popular music. As for Chuck Berry himself, he's a true Zoomer, still performing regular concerts in his hometown of St. Louis. Right now, we'll travel back to the peak of his career and hear his famous song that's almost autobiographical about a small-town guitar-playing boy with dreams of seeing his name in lights. Here's Johnny B. Good. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, way back up in the woods among the evergreens, the still the log cabin made of earth and wood, where lived a country boy named Johnny B. Good. Johnny B. Good. Johnny B. Good, one of the iconic rock and roll songs written by Chuck Berry. He celebrated his 86th birthday this week. That brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.